You know who loves Backfence PDX Radio? Papina Swimwear. Drawing inspiration from vintage swimsuits, Papina believes you don't have to show it all off to be sexy. PapinaSwimwear.com. I'm B. Frain Masters. This is Backfence PDX Radio, where we take stories from our live show in Portland and bring them to your radio device so that while you're working out on the boring elliptical machine, you can still feel connected to humanity. Next up is Scott Kravitz. He's one of those kind of guys who seems decently nervous before he hits the stage, but as soon as he's standing before the mic, he's as cool as a cucumber in a June breeze. Hi, I'm Scott. Um, uh, as I was graduating college, my, uh, my biology professor suggested I apply for this wildlife research program in Alaska. Um, he even had this brochure for the thing, and it had pictures of people with clipboards and standing on trails and pointing at stuff and things like that. And, and so I applied, and, and a few weeks later I got a call uh, saying they wanted to fly me out. And I said, great, where in Alaska? And they said, um, actually it's South Dakota. Uh, so, um, so two weeks later, I was flying into Rapid City on what uh, turned out to be the first day of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, which, you, okay, good. It's like this huge gathering of those guys on Harleys that you usually see outside the Starbucks on Sundays. But um, also, the, uh, uh, the Knights of Columbus are big out there, so there were all these anti-abortion, pro-war billboards everywhere. And I'm, I mean, I'm this... Jewish liberal vegetarian and you know so I was definitely starting to have that awful Toto I think we're in Kansas kind of feeling um, uh, but eventually my uh, my new boss shows up she's this uh, wildlife biologist named Jill and she takes me to the Badlands National Park where I'm to spend the next six months of my life and I don't know if you've seen this place but it's um, it it at first glance, it just looks desolate. It's, it's mostly flat, and there are no trees, uh, just dogweed, and that, um, that kind of brush that, that George Bush spent the last eight years clearing from his ranch. Um, uh, and the nearest town, Interior, is uh, 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 three miles away. It has a population of 48 and two bars. Um, <laughs> Uh, so the, the study that I'm supposed to work on is the, for the, the reintroduction of the black-footed ferret, which is this animal that was actually listed as extinct for about eight years until uh, someone found a small population in Wyoming, and they were captive breeding them uh, so they could be reintroduced into some of their old habitat, like South Dakota. And so our study was trying to find the best location for that release. Um, now, uh, ferrets prey on prairie dogs, so we were... Uh, we were studying to, to find the, the healthiest population of prairie dogs in which to do that release, which meant that I was actually there to study prairie dogs. I, I never even got to see a black-footed ferret. Um, <laughs> but after a few months around these, these, the, the prairie dogs, I started to really like them. They're, they're really smart and social, and they lead this really easy life, especially with no ferrets around. <laughs> and... Um, and uh, they live in these huge colonies called towns, um, and when they uh, greet each other, they stand up and do this kind of kissing thing. Um, eventually, I, I got to know them so well that I started fancying myself becoming like the Jane Goodall of prairie dogs. Um, and, uh, uh, but uh, one of the things I had to do was uh, get blood samples from these guys. So I, I, I got these live traps called Have a Heart Traps. 
and and I'd set I'd bait them and then come back in a few hours and very carefully draw some blood and then I would clip a little hair from their butt so that I'd know that they'd been sampled just you know in case I trapped them again. Um, but for some reason I kept uh, trapping the same animals over and over again and that's when Jill told me that it's common to have some animals figure out that they only have to give blood once and then they can keep getting the food in the traps for free. Um, there's actually a scientific term for this behavior, it's called trap happy. Um, I had four traps and five trap happy prairie dogs. Um, and I kept, I kept asking Jill of, uh, for more traps and then she came back with a new plan. She said uh, that she had asked one of the rangers to go out with me next time and shoot the prairie dogs and then have me run up and get a blood sample before they could crawl into their holes to die. Um, and, yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and so I, I, was, I was so mad um, that I just, I couldn't speak for a while, but I finally managed to say, well, that wasn't in the brochure. Um, and what made me furious was that these were my prairie dogs. I had named some of them, for Christ's sake, and, and it drove me crazy how Jill kept referring to them as critters. Um, and then I just, I just yelled that the whole ferret project was doomed anyway because the, the initial population from which they were breeding the ferrets was only 30, which, if you know anything about genetics, is a hopelessly small pool to draw from. I mean, you, might, you might as well not do it because in a few generations, they're all going to look like the British royal family. Um, and uh, meanwhile, there are all these other less pretty species that actually stood a chance of given the same star treatment. The, the black-footed ferret had all these organizations behind it because it happened to look really cute on fundraising mailers. Um, and, uh, so, um, and then I started thinking, what right does the ferret have to come in here and eat my prairie dogs anyway? And then finally I was like, f*** the ferret. Um, and I started wearing around this button that said, save the ugly animals too. And I was like, I was like Lisa Simpson marching around the kitchen table. <laughs> Uh, you know, alienating everybody that I worked with, um, which was all of three people. Um, I, th I think the only people that liked me were the, uh, the, the Indians that worked for the park because they could see that I was pissing off all the other white people. Um, so I, I refused to help with the killing, uh, which seriously damaged my relationship with uh, Jill. And uh, she kept saying that I needed to see the big picture, which to her meant the schedule. And I called her an insensitive bureaucrat, which I know is like the, the worst thing I could have said. Um, uh, because after that, the job she started giving me became more and more punitive. And since I'm naturally paranoid, um, I started fearing that maybe I wasn't the Jane Goodall of prairie dogs after all. Maybe I was the Diane Fossey of prairie dogs. Um, so, so first she, um, she lent me out to the maintenance department to uh, help control Canadian thistle in the park, which is this uh, exotic weed that is crowding out all the native plants. And uh, for this, I had to um, walk through the park for hours in a full hazmat suit, um, spraying herbicide everywhere. And uh, um, it was like 95 degrees out, and I'm, I'm dressed like the guy in Close Encounters that takes the dead pigeons out of Richard Dreyfuss's car. Um, the only good part was when tourists would see me because I'd start waving my arms and yelling something about radiation and, and, and they'd, they'd jump in their cars and drive off. Um, then uh, 
later, uh, Jill put me to work burrow mapping, which is uh, where you have to go and find all the burrows in a prairie dog town and um, map a 20-foot radius around each hole and walking up and down the measuring tape every 30 degrees, counting the amount of scat to determine habitation. I was literally counting shit, um, which, which some people may have found to be very meditative. Uh, and I tried really hard to imagine myself like, like a Zen master in my little Japanese poop garden. But, um, <laughs> but it, it didn't work because just a quarter mile away, Jill and one of the rangers were shooting the prairie dogs. And with every shot, I could see Jill run forward doing what she wanted me to do and, and hitting the ground. Um, and now when I get that mad, I don't, I don't blow up. I, um, I burn cold and I get really quiet. Um, but I had to ride back with these people. And, um, and for some reason they had me drive, which was a really bad choice because I was seriously considering just, you know, like <laughs> offing us all. Um, uh, and I remember uh, Dave the Ranger uh, turning to me and goes, so the strong silent type. Um, which I, I oddly took as a compliment at a time because it was the first time someone had referred to me as strong. Um, uh, and, and later Dave told me that uh, uh, once Jill and I determined the location of the release, the government was going to go in and start shooting all the animals in the area that might compete with or kill the, the ferret. Like, that's meant coyotes, mountain lions, badgers, whatever they could find. Um, I, I felt like I had gone out there to do good and instead got tricked into helping this big dumb giant that was going to do things one way no matter what. But I couldn't quit because I, I still felt like I could be this advocate from within, um, as ineffective as that, that was. But um, this continued for a while until the, towards the end of my six months when uh, Jill uh, gave me one last project to do. For this I had to... Uh, do uh, uh, night surveys of the prairie dog towns to determine the amount of nocturnal activity and you know, see what uh, other animals were walking around at that time. So um, this meant I had to uh, hike for two miles through a prairie dog town in total darkness and stop every 50 meters to turn on a spotlight and then do two sweeps around. Then I had to write down the number of eye reflections that I saw. <laughs> and uh, you can usually tell the, uh, the kind of animal that's that's looking at you by the color of the eye reflection. Like coyotes had a yellow and uh, bison had a, a dark green. But um, you know, when, when you put yourself in a strange place in the dark, you sometimes find out what you're really afraid of. And uh, having grown up in the suburbs of, of LA, I, um, I found that the thing that most terrified me was zombies. <laughs> and um, I was okay with mountain lions and you know and bison and all, but um, but but I was seeing zombies everywhere, and I could hear them approaching me in the dark. Um, and uh, and the worst part was um, the midpoint of my hike was supposed to be this gravesite where a homesteading family had buried their infant son. Um, in fact, the whole valley was named after this family, Tyree, and uh, the map that the rangers gave me had this nice little cross on it, it said. Baby Tyree lies here. <laughs> so, um, so I'm walking in the dark, and, and as I approach Baby Tyree's grave, I, I, I turn on the spotlight, and there floating right in front of me is, um, is a dead baby. Um, its arms are out, its eyes are rolled back, and it, it's, um, it's, it's got this swaddling cloth that's all torn and waving in the wind. And, um, 
And the amazing thing was in that instant, I knew exactly what it was like to be a prairie dog. Um, and I knew that, uh, the fer that I was going to die and the ferrets were going to get me. And nothing was fair and nothing was moral. And, um, and all I wanted was to live and get out of South Dakota and go back to LA where everything sucked, but at least I wouldn't be attacked by dead babies. Um, and I ran. And uh, when I got back to my uh, cabin, I found out that a couple of the rangers had wanted to play a joke on me. So they dressed a doll in rags and, and stuck it to a post by the gravesite. Um, so, so they had their fun and I ruined a perfectly good pair of pants. Thanks. <laughs> That was Scott Kravitz. He lives and works as a filmmaker and animator in San Francisco and is a contributor to CBC Radio's Wiretap. What? There's a website? Yeah, there is. It's backfencepdx.com. Find more storytellers and videos and stuff there. Backfence PDX Radio is produced at Oregon Public Broadcasting by Spencer Raymond. Lynn Clendenin and myself are executive producers with Jason Saul's associate producer. Special live show thank yous to Sarah Grace McCandless, Natalie Weinstein, Megan Kate, and Melissa Lyon. And Scott Silver, who imagined the show for radio. Our music by Portland band DeLorean. A big thank you to On Your Feet, St. Cupcake, Papina Swimwear, Hotel Deluxe, and Kate Sokoloff Creative. Find us on Twitter at BackfencePDX. We're on Facebook, too. I'm B-Frame Masters. This is BackfencePDX Radio. BackfencePDX Radio.